Today we're going to study on the book of Job, Trusting God Through Trials. Hopefully you guys discussed at the table uh, those questions. But so I, I want to start off with this. He is the master. We are the slaves. He's the potter. We are the clay. Our time is in his hands. His time is in and ours. He is God. And we are not. In the movie Rudy, Rudy comes to Father Kavanaugh and he's in desperation because he realizes his dream of playing at least one down for Notre Dame is coming to an end and it may never happen. The priest told him, hey, Rudy, at least you're doing a great job of trying to fulfill your dream. And Rudy said, who cares about what kind of job I do? It doesn't matter if it doesn't produce the results. It doesn't mean a thing. Rudy replied, and then he said, maybe I haven't prayed enough. Father Kavanaugh said to him, praying is something we do in our time, but the answer comes in God's time. Rudy then said, I've done everything I can do possibly. Will you help me? And Father Kavanaugh said, son, in 35 years of religious study, I've only come up with two hard, inconvertible facts. There is a God, and I'm not him. Do you know that today? I mean, do you really know that? That he is God. John the Baptist said it this way. He must increase and I must decrease. When the Pharisees came to John and asked him who he was, he said, I am not the Christ. We're not God. And the book of Job is about theological problem. It's what the whole book of Job, it's not about suffering, it's not about the pain, it's not about what he went through. It's a theological problem that God does what he wants for his will, even if it's out of the way we think he should operate. And the purpose of the book of Job is to demonstrate the sovereignty of God and the value of genuine faith. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, 3-7. through 7. Listen to what Peter says here about genuine faith. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. I love what Peter says here, that we rejoice in this. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So the, the testing, and here's the key, genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than what? Gold, which perishes. Though it be tested by fire, may be found to the result in the praise and the glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gentlemen, this is God's goal in all of our lives. This whole series, every sermon that's being preached here, I've watched it and listened to it. And one thing God keeps bringing up in this series is that he is in control and we are not. Now, one of our biggest mistakes as men is we're independent. I can do this, Lord. I got to figure it out. 
I can fix this, God. I can fix my son. I can fix this problem. I can straighten this person out. I can give him the word of God and show it. But see, if God doesn't move, if the wind doesn't blow in their direction, Jesus said it this way, that without me, you can do what? Nothing. Absolutely, positively, nothing. And that's what this book is about, the problem of our theology. And tonight, I hope as we read the scriptures and we see where Job had faulty theology and who God was, that some of us in this room, including me, as I studied this the past couple weeks, I just kept seeing my faulty theology and my wrong image of who God is. So if you turn with me to Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, It says this, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright. He feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons, three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and and very many servants, so that the man was the greatest of all the people of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one of, on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and, and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of all them. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now what we're seeing here is the history of Job. First thing it says here is that Job was blameless. Which means he he wasn't perfect. This isn't sinless, but it means he was devoted to God. And that's what God's looking for in, in a man is someone that is devoted to him. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I fall or, or I make mistakes and I don't think things are right, I start thinking, I'm not blameless. I, I'm, well, the first thing I found out is I definitely am sin. I definitely have sin and I need a savior. Second thing we see about Job, he was God-fearing. God-fearing means that uh, he, he knew God was there. In the book of uh, Philippians chapter four, there was two women in there that were arguing in the church and Paul challenged them about stopping the arguing. And the one thing he says to him, understand that God is near. See, that's what the fear of God is, is that you have this conscience that he's there. If you start to watch something you aren't supposed to watch, or you grab your phone, and all of a sudden, something you start flipping through, and you see something that we know we shouldn't be looking at. Okay, well, my wife isn't in here. She can't see. Uh, My grandkids can't see. Oh, wait a minute. God is near. And that's what God-fearing is. And the first thing you find out, the third thing that Job had in his history, is that he hated evil. And I want you to know that fearing God and hating evil go hand in hand. Uh, If you're watching television or you're watching the news and you just see the evil that's on there, there should be something inside of you that grieves. If there's a movie or something you're watching that's evil and your heart doesn't grieve at it, there might be something wrong with your walk with Christ. You might have to say to yourself, why can I do this? You can't. If you're God-fearing, which means I know God's near, I'm going to hate evil. Why? Because God hates evil. Next thing we see is that he's a family man. And you guys, right now in our, in our culture, we're seeing an attack on the family. I, I remember hearing my pastors talk about the attack on the past family in my past years. 
but there is a major assault on the family. This transgender thing and everything, and can't identify a woman or can't identify a man, it's all an attack on the family. And, you know, we pray for our nation left and right, you guys, but the truth is, all a nation is, is a bunch of families. And you can look how the family is being torn down, how it's being attacked. Satan is all after the family. And the main part he's after is us. Grandfathers, fathers, future fathers. Okay, see, God has called us to be the spiritual head of our house. Sometimes that's a struggle when your wife is pretty strong-willed and she's used to telling you what the scripture says. But God has called us to lead our wives and our children. I know that in my life, I was excited to get them involved in baseball and football. I was proud when they were carrying the football on the field. But the greatest thing I could ever do for my children is point them to Jesus Christ. He was a family man. Quote my favorite movie, The Godfather. uh, The Godfather tells his son, been hanging out with your family? And he says, yeah, Dad, I am. He goes, you know, you aren't a man unless you can hang out with family. It's so true, you guys. Family is what God has put his head over. And that's how a nation is built. And we've got to raise our children and our family right. The next thing we see, he was hard working. Job worked hard. Uh, The guys that I meet with, we'll talk about our struggles and, and where we get tempted at and how Satan just, we think we're the only ones going through it. You're not, you're not alone. But I know one thing, the idle time is the devil's workshop. When I'm at home and no one else is there and I'm just laying around surfing through the TV, man, can Satan attack me? I know that depression and other things start to get me when I'm not working. The best thing for us men is to work and to work hard. God has called us to be the best workers we can be. We shouldn't be the complainer on the workplace. We should do all things without murmuring or complaining, and we should work under the Lord. Why? Because it gives us dignity. It makes us proud of what we have and that we worked hard for it. It sets an example of the rest of our family. He was a hard-working family man. Now, the next thing you see about him, he employed many. That's what happens when you're a hard worker. You don't just take care of yourself, but God ends up using you to bless other people. And that's why God wants us to be this type of man. But most of all, we'll see, the final thing we see about Job, he was a spiritual leader. He prayed for his family. He did sacrifice. Back in those days, there was no priesthood. So the father was the priesthood for those people in those days. And that's exactly what Job did. He was the priesthood. And men, every one of us are called to be a priest to our family. So my point here is this is who Job was. But all these characteristics are about to be tested. See, what we're looking for is genuine faith. Not just going through the motions. I know some of you have been raised in church your whole life. You've went through the motions. You've You've come to church, you've been baptized, you you know every story in the Bible. But the only way genuine faith is going to be proved in your life is through trials. Now, you may sit here and say, well, Rick, I'm not going through any trial. Just keep living. Just keep living because you will, okay? It's coming. So look at this, um, uh, Job chapter 1, 6 through 12 with me. This is the first heavenly scene. Job never seen this. Now there was a day 
when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from, the, from where have you come? Satan answered, the Lord, and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, you should underline this in your Bible. Have you considered, I want you to remember that word, considered. My servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth. He's blameless, he's upright, man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered, and I love this, the Lord said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the, the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now I want you to see here the very first part of this heavenly scene. This is the spiritual realm. This is Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 12. Look at that with me real quick before we exposit the rest of it. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of whose might? His might. Put on the whole armor of who? Whose armor is it? It's not our armor, it's God's armor. That you may be able to stand against what? The schemes of the devil. This is exactly what we're seeing here in Job chapter one, all right? For we do not wrestle against flesh. You're not fighting against your wife, guys. You're not fighting against your boss. You're not fighting against your children. You're fighting against the enemy, okay? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we're seeing this realm of, of spiritual. We see that the sons of God, which if you study the Old Testament, that's what they called angels, sons of God. Okay, now it's not talking about the only begotten son. There's only one only begotten son, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was not an angel, okay? But this is the angels, and notice that Satan still has access to heaven. And he still has access with us. Okay? And remember, Job did not see this scene. All right? So the angels are coming. Satan comes among them, and he has access. Now the Lord says to him, hey, have you considered um, my, son, my, my servant Job? Now, there's certain guys you don't want to poke the bear. You, you know what I'm talking about? There's guys that you work with that you know if, if you poke him, He's coming after you. Well, that's exactly what God did here. And that word consider is a military term that is used by generals who study a city and to see how they can attack it. They're looking for the gates. They're looking for the easiest way to break through and get in there. And that's exactly what God is telling Satan. Hey, have you considered my servant Job? Okay, and look at, and he's looking for the weakest point. Look at 1 Peter 5 for a second. We'll talk about this. Look what Peter tells us to do when Satan attacks us. Starting in verse 6. Humble yourself, which is the first key, guys. Any temptation we're in, it all boils down to humility. We have to get rid of our pride, and, our, and our, we can do this. We can't. We can't defeat Satan. You know, I know there's a theology out there that teaches that we can bind him. You cannot bind him. You can't. 
He, only God can stop him. But our key is humble yourself, therefore, under what? The mighty hand of God. Why? So that he may, in proper time, that he may exalt you. Casting what? All your anxieties, the things that you're being attacked with on him. Why? Because God cares for you. Now, here's what he tells us. Be sober-minded. Don't let your emotions get you drunk. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion or considering us, seeking someone to devour. Now, Peter tells us, resist him firm in your faith or trust in God, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by our brotherhood throughout the whole world. And after you have suffered what? Again, here it is, a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we need to be sober-minded, and we need to be ready, because Satan's on the prowl. He wants to devour us. Jesus told Peter he wants to sift you as wheat. And then so... Job, Satan gives his evaluation of what he thinks in, in um, a chapter, I mean, verses 9 through 11. And here's what Job says. Then Satan answered the Lord and says, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and the house and all that in every side? Bless him. And then we saw that God told him to go ahead. And so this is Satan's evaluation of Job, that Job only served God for the blessings. In Job's day, they had the false gospel like we have today, the prosperity gospel. They honestly believed that if you were healthy, wealthy, and big houses and everything, that you were blessed by God. Well, God was again, now remember, this book is about false theology. It's about Job getting the theology right. It looks like Job's got everything correct, but God's getting ready to show him who he really is that who God is. And so Satan's valuation was that Job only, Job only served God because of his blessings, because of the, the riches that he had. So that's that point. So the next thing is we're going to look at the, the test. All right. And I just read it to you, Job 1, 13. Now there was the day when the sons and daughters were eating and drinking under the oldest brother's house, and there came a message to Job and said, the oxen were plowing in the, and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he's yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet Speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck them down and the servants that were with them, edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they are dead and I alone have escaped to tell you. Can you imagine that? Yeah, I don't know how many of you have experienced the loss of a loved one. It's not easy. I'm sure most of us in this room know that. He lost all of his children. He didn't just lose one. 
but he lost all of his children. He lost everything, all his riches. And men, we, we, we really look at ourselves by, um, well, the world teaches us three things. The world teaches us that we're a man because number one, what we do on the athletic field. Number two, how many women we have slept with. And number three, how much money we make. And you might not know this, but we all fall in that trap. Okay, that's nothing to do with being a man. That has nothing to do with being a man. But we end up finding our identity in our work or our money or our house or what we've achieved. And in one day, just like Job, it could all be taken away from us. Again, we're not taking anything with us. The question is, what are you living for? Who is your God? And who do you really worship? And Satan did his dirty work all in one day. He lost his donkeys, his sheep, his camels, his servants, all his children. Uh, We are either heading into a trial or we're in the midst of one. You may say, I haven't, but keep living, like I said, and you will. But look what James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 says. He says, James, servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in dispersion, greetings counted all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, endurance, perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking in nothing. See, this is what trials does. Trials reveals if we have real faith. In Job Uh, 1 through 20, we see what Job does, Job's response. Then Job arose and tore his robe. He shaved his head, and he fell on the ground, and he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, or charge God with wrong. Job's response was worship. We sing this song quite often in this church. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in the song, I love the way Matt Redman wrote it. He said, when the sun is shining down on me and the world's all as it's supposed to be. But then he says in that song, bless him in the desert place. Do you know why God takes us in the desert place? Do you know why he he took Israel out of Egypt and he took them out in the desert? Because there's nothing out there but God. And whatever trial you're facing today or whatever battle you're in, if you're in the desert place today, God wants you to get your eyes on him and him alone. He wants you to come to the end of yourself and quit depending on your, your riches or your own ability to get you through it. Or I can fix this, Lord. Job trusted God through trials. Job kept his trust in God in spite of his circumstances. Will we? The next one we're going to see is the second heavenly scene. See, Satan doesn't stop you guys. He just keeps coming. I was kind of hoping that in the golden years that it would slow down. This ain't the golden years. I want my money back. So look at chapter 2 with me, verses 1 through 8. Again, there was a very, there was a day when the sons of God, the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, 
And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord, I'm going to and fro throughout the whole earth, walking up and down it. And the Lord said to Satan, there it is again. Have you considered my servant Job? He's poking the bear again. And the other thing you need to see here is that God's sovereign all over this. It's God that's in control of this. Satan has no power of his own. He's just an angel. A lot of times we will look at Satan as the opposite of God. He is not the opposite of God. He's just a fallen angel. He's nowhere in the league of God. He has no power. Satan is not sovereign. Satan cannot also be everywhere at once. He's just an angel. And he can only do what God allows him to do. So he says, I'm walking on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, blameless, an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds first his integrity. Although you enticed him against me to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered, Lord, and said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with a loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head and took a piece of a broken pottery with his, which he scrapes himself while he, he sat in ashes. What we see here is Satan goes after him in the second scene. And Satan comes again before God and accuses him of not having genuine faith. Satan tells him, you know what, God? He passed the test. So what his children died? So what he lost all his money? But you know what? If you go skin for skin, we'll see if he really loves you. Now, what you need to see here is the real attack isn't against Job. The real attack is against God's worthiness of being worshiped. That's what this whole attack is about. It's about who God is. And Satan's really trying to say, you really aren't worth being worshiped. You aren't. And that's what trials do. It proves that God's people are going to worship him in spite of what comes their way. He's always accusing us. Satan is always attacking us. He's reminding us, and you know this in your heads, he's always reminding you of your failures. He's always reminding you of your regrets. It's a constant warfare. But look in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. Look what John says to us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may know not to sin. But if anyone does sin, I love this, we have an advocate, a lawyer, someone that will plead our case with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation means he took the wrath of God. He took God's anger in our place. He appeased God's anger for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. We no longer have to carry that guilt and shame. When Satan accuses us of being failures or or not doing the right thing or being the man that God has called us to be or a sin that we just can't overcome, we have an advocate. It's Jesus Christ. He has conquered that for us. And my point on that, Satan has no case against us because Christ endured the cross. Next one. Job trusted God through trials. Satan has no case against us. Look at Job's wife's response 
in chapter 2, verse 9. And his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, I've heard a lot of preachers talking about his wife and how even Satan didn't want her, that he took all the other things and he didn't want to take Job's wife. But I want you to think about this woman a second. She lost her daughters. She lost all her sons. She lost all her wealth, everything that her husband and her worked hard for over the years. And now she sees her husband. And if you study the scriptures in Job, it says when his three friends come to see him, they couldn't even recognize him. He was so sick. You ever visit someone in the hospital that they're so sick or they're almost on the deathbed that when you walk in, you're in shock, haven't seen him? Well, that's exactly what his wife is looking at. And I don't want to beat this woman up. I think that she, she was struggling. But what we see here is she didn't have strong, genuine faith. Her faith was shipwrecked. It was destroyed. Now, praise God, later on in the book, she finally, God restores everything to her. And I'm sure if she was here today, she could tell you what God taught her through that. She lost her children. Her husband, was, who she deeply loved, was sick beyond recognition. She couldn't understand how he held his integrity. Remember, their theology was, if you're walking for God, you're going to be blessed. You're going to have all the riches. You're going to be wealthy, healthy, and wise, which is a false gospel. Just go ahead and curse God. She says, you ever been that? I've been that sick where I was like, I remember here, um, just after the surgery I had, I remember some nights laying in my bed. I was like, take me home, Lord. I'm ready. I've lived enough. Okay. I'm kind of glad he didn't, but um, um, maybe I'll get to see the Browns. No, never mind. That's not going to happen. Okay. But I've been that sick. I felt that way. I know there's some of you in this room that what you're going through, uh, you lost loved ones or whatever you're going through, you felt that way. And that's how Job's wife felt. Just curse him and die, Job. And what we see her faith here is in Matthew chapter 13. I want you to look at this verse with me. Jesus is talking about the sowing of the seeds. And he talks about how the seeds grow in there and what happens to them. But the one seed he brings out, starting in verse 20, he says... As for what was sown in the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word. Now, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, right? Okay. Immediately receives it with joy. Sounds to me like this person got saved. Yet has no root, where? In himself. But endures for a while. Now, look at this. And when tribulations or persecutions arise on the count of what? The word. He immediately falls away. Trials reveal our genuine faith. And what we see here is that Job's wife, it, she thought she had it, but, but she was struggling with it. Trials we, we say and do things we normally wouldn't do. I know in my struggles and trials, sometimes I'll say things that, you know, man, Lord, I was wrong. You know, I know over the past, there's been things that happened to me. And I, and I thought, well, this is why it's happening, and I was wrong. Or even when I ministered to other people, there was things I said to them that I was dead wrong on. I didn't know what I was talking about until I went through the trial. And that's what we see. But look at now in Job 10, um, verse 10, his response. But he said to her, you speak as one who is foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, 
Job did not sin with his lips. Now, again, it depends how you look at this verse, but I kind of look at Job looking at his wife in, in compassion. Even in his sickness, he's still trying to minister his wife. He's reminding her of the scripture that even, you sound like a foolish woman. Psalms 14.1 says this, a fool has said what? In his heart, there is no God. Now he knew his wife knew better than that. He knew there was God. And he was reminding her, look at there is a God. He can see us. He knows where we're at. He knew that we live in a fallen world. Now he asked her this question, shall we receive only good and not evil? Job fought the good fight of faith. And we need to remember that faith is a marathon. It's not a sprint. In 2 Timothy, Paul's last words, he said this, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also all who have loved his appearing. What we need to understand, you guys, is this is a battle. Paul had said, and I love what he said, I have fought the good fight. I don't know how many of you remember when Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier fought. Do you guys remember that fight? It was a war. It was a war. And it didn't end in one or two rounds, even though Ali, if I remember right, he predicted he'd knock him out in three rounds. Okay? Our walk in Christ's faith is a long battle. And it's a fight. And Paul's telling us that we got to finish it to the end. That's what really counts, is that we understand that we're going to finish it in. And at the end, guess what's there? A crown of righteousness. What's a crown of righteousness? That I can stand before Almighty God, blameless. I don't know how that's going to happen, except by the blood of Jesus Christ. Faith is a fight. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So in ending, if you look with me, we'll see that Job was there, we're going to go back to chapter 3. We're going to have to open up the Bibles on that. I'm just going to touch some things. But I want you to see some things. Job started to get it. Look at Job chapter 23, verse 8 with me. Job says this. This is a powerful verse. If you want to mark it up in your Bible, you should. I run to this a lot of times. Behold, I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand... When he was working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. It doesn't matter if we know where God is. What really matters is that he knows, or that we know that he knows where we are. And there's times in life, you guys, you're going to look for God all around. There's not going to be answers for what's going on in your life. There's going to be some of us in this room that is fighting regrets, and we don't know how to overcome them. We're fighting shame, and we're struggling with all kinds of battles in our life. But I'd like you to look at this verse in Romans 5 first, and then we'll go back to Job's 3. Paul wrote this, Herefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. 
We rejoice in hope of the glory of God, not only, but that we rejoice in what? Our suffering, knowing this, that the suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. I love this part. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given. The sheet that I gave you, suffering produces endurance. You probably caught that. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope removes our shame. And our shame is replaced with God's love. When we realize that, in our trials, that God is trying to make us into the men that he wants us to be, we can get rid of our shame. We can cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. In Job chapter 3, you'll have to look on your devices or in your Bible. I didn't put it up here. But I just want to show you a couple verses. In verse 1, it says, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, Let that day perish on which I was born. And the night said, a man is conceived. In verse um, chapter, I mean, verse 9, he says, Let the stars of its dawn dark, let it hope for the light, but have, have none, nor see the eyelids of the morning. He says in verse 11, Why did I not die at birth, come out of the womb, and expired? He goes on, if you read it in verse 16, or why was I not hidden as a stillborn, as an infant who never seen the light? In these verses, what we see here is Job had tons of regrets. He had tons of shame that he was struggling with. I don't know what you're struggling with tonight, but what I want you to understand is God does. And that verse in chapter Romans, chapter five, it says he replaces our shame with the love of Christ. Trials reveal our self-dependency. Trials reveal that we can do it on our own, but we need to understand that we can't. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what sorrow grips you. I don't know all the regrets that's haunting you in the corridors of your heart and your mind. I don't know the shame that you're carrying from your path that beats you down every day as Satan's up there constantly accusing you and, and, and attacking you. But I want you to know one thing that Jesus cares for you. And this very last verse I'd like you to look at is in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. And the book that I, I was reading this week by Dan Ortland, it's a book called Gentle and Lowly. And he writes this, it's pretty amazing. He says, there's, no, no, there's only one place in the four gospels, just one place where Jesus, God, reveals his real heart to us. They're probably the most wonderful words ever uttered, he said, by human lips. Look what it says. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is calling. He's calling. And you might even be in the darkest trial of your life. I don't know what you're going through. But he does. 
He sees you. You're not alone. Job never knew what we got to see in chapter one and two, the behind scenes. If you look at the rest of Job, he repents. When God shows up, Job says, I heard of you, but now I see you, I've got nothing to say. Today, Jesus is telling you, come unto him. He'll take that away. Let's pray. I'd like everybody just to bow your heads. Listen, guys, I'm not trying to do sensationalism here or throw guilt on you or try to shame you in any way. But if you're in a battle somewhere and you just need prayer, there's guys here tonight that'll pray with you and help you. One of the biggest things I've learned in life is don't hide it. Just bring it out. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. James even tells us to confess our sins one to another. It's good to be around brothers that won't condemn you for what you're struggling because we're all struggling. And whatever trial you're going through, remember, Christ is trying to refine you. God is trying to refine you to the image of his son. In Romans 8, it says that he will conform us, what? To the image of his son. Why? So it reflects to the rest of the world the goodness of who God is. Father, I pray tonight for all of us. I pray that anything I said that was sloppy or didn't get across great, I pray your spirit would just still do the work that he wants to do. We need you, Lord Jesus. We can't do it on our own. Our families need us. Our grandchildren need us. Our wives need us. Our nation needs us to be godly men. But Lord, we can't do it without you. We can't make it on our own, our own philosophy, our own thinking. And the guilt and the shame that we carry from our past or things that we're struggling with, Satan just beats us up with it, Lord. But we come unto you because you said to come unto you. We thank you that you're, you're gentle and kind and long-suffering with us. And you came to seek and save that which was lost. We give you all the praise and glory, Lord. Thank you for your word. It's powerful. We give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.